back to the latest episode of the Shift Talk podcast. I am one of your three hosts, Matthew, also joined in this intro by the other two hosts. Go ahead and say hello, guys. Hello. And we're back this week, fresh off of Interstellar last week, um, which was a pretty lengthy one. Um, but we're back here today uh, for a, you know, definitely uh, changed it up as far as run times goes for the movie today, but... I don't know. I haven't talked to you guys in a few days. Uh, what's uh, what's been on the docket for you guys? What's what's been on your screens this week? I have not watched much personally, uh, so I'm going to leave it up to you guys to kind of fill the void here because I've been kind of lackluster on my viewing habits this week. Yeah, I've I've actually watched uh, several different movies this week. Um, I think it was last night I watched a movie called Joshy. I don't know. If- have either one of you heard I've of heard it? of Josh. I've been wanting to watch it. Never heard of that. I don't know anything else by the director, but I watched it because it had uh, Thomas Middleditch in it. And it actually turns out to have like a pretty pretty star-studded cast. I mean, it came out in uh, 2016. And it has Nick Kroll, um, Aubrey Plaza, Allison Brie, uh, Jake Johnson. Um, it was pro- Honestly, it was probably the best movie I watched this week. Um, it was kind of a, a comedy, but a very serious comedy. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, let's see some other things I watched. I, I watched He Got Game for the first time, which is probably surprising hmm. considering I'm such a huge basketball fan. But I still have never seen that either, and I'm in the same boat. It was a you know it stars Ray Allen and Denzel, and you know you always hear about Jesus Shuttleworth. It's, where obviously that comes from this movie. Yeah. And I mean, Spock, Spock Lee's a great director. Um, I, I liked this movie. It, to me, it wasn't as good as some of the other, st- other things I've seen by him. Uh, but it was good. Let's see. I watched a movie called The Vast of Night that came out last year, which was a very, like, very interesting, like, I, Alien movie, kind of, set in the 50s, um, directed by Andrew Patterson, which I think is the only thing that is his first movie. And the movie is, like, very well directed. Um, the story's interesting. The only real complaint I had about it is it's, it's very much a slow burn movie. And even for my own taste, I, I love slow burn movies, but this one was just a, just a little... A little too slow even for me. But with that being said, I still enjoyed it and I was still interested in what was going on. But there was there was times during the movie that I, I wished it was, you know, a little bit uh better paced. But as far for as for like from a directing standpoint, it was very good and there's some really uh really cool like tracking shots in the movie that I thought were really well done. So I'm definitely interested to see what uh Andrew Patterson does in the future. I think there one, two, two other movies I watched. I finally got around to watching Death of Stalin. Um, <laughs> Cruz, have you seen that one? I've seen bits and pieces of it. I've been meaning to watch it all. It kind of goes along with you know Doctor Strangelove, the the satire of the the movie. is It's really it's a really funny movie. Very much enjoyed it. I'd I would recommend it. It's got I've heard that like everything in that movie is true. Uh, I mean it's not. By how like ridiculous it is, like everything is actually accurate in terms of like what happens. 
That's, that is pretty crazy. I didn't read too much into it, but I just kind of assume that, you know, some of this is like drawn out for comedic purposes. But I guess it is totally believable, though, that that kind of stuff would happen. I mean, um, I definitely think that both of y'all would like it. Yeah, I'm about to check it out. All those choices are really interesting. It's on Amazon Prime. The last movie I watched was uh, Come to Daddy. Uh, it's directed by Ann Thompson and uh, stars Elijah Wood. It's a kind of a small like, indie movie. It was it was pretty good. Um, came out last year. I don't really have too much to say about it. I, I enjoyed it, but it was you know nothing special. Although I do I do love Elijah Wood, and I think that he's he has some very like. Since Lord of the Rings, he's went on to be in a bunch of very good indie movies, in my opinion. And I, so, like, anytime I see that he's starring in a movie, it, it kind of automatically uh, piques my interest. And like I said, this one was this one was good, but I don't really have much to talk about it. So, uh, Cruz, what all have you watched this week? I've only watched three movie. I've only watched three movies in a short film outside of the movie we're reviewing today. I watched the uh, Poughkeepsie Tapes, which is this mockumentary horror film. Uh, I was disappointed in it. I wasn't a big fan, uh, which is a shame because like, there was a lot. It was like four really interesting movies in one, but they didn't like the director didn't know what it wanted to be, and so it never fleshed out any of them, and it was just kind of tonally inconsistent. There's some, like, really good creepy imagery, but it just never kind of comes together, and I was kind of disappointed in it. Um, and then I watched, I re-watched Black Klansman by Spike Lee, because my girlfriend wanted to watch it with her friend, and I was just there. Which, um, I love that movie. I have some personal issues with some of the historical accuracy inaccuracies in that movie. But as like a movie by itself, I really, I really love it. Cause Spock Lee is a great filmmaker. Um, that, that ending is very powerful, especially with the events of the last few weeks. Yeah. That ending is, is pretty, very true. Yeah. Very, very intense. Very, it, it, it uh, it got me choked up. It always does though. Um, and then I watched a short film called Sisyphus. Um, it was just like this two-minute little drawing that does the retelling of the myth of Sisyphus. I only watched it because I'm a fan of Albert Camus, and it was cute. It was very cute. Um, it doesn't obviously like go into like what Camus wrote, write, like writes about with that story, but it was a cute, really cool kind of animation. And then I watched The Green Inferno by Eli Roth. It was the first Eli Roth movie I ever watched. And um really enjoyed it. It's not a very good movie. I very much enjoyed it. Because sometimes I just like really trashy, depraved, like, nihilistic movies. That's the movie about Even the cannibals, right? Yeah. It's not very good. It The acting is horrible, and the writing is so, like on the nose like it just beats you over the head with its message it's there's no subtlety but like i said sometimes i just like it when movies are sometimes really mean-spirited um and i enjoyed it i did but it's not a movie i can defend it's like not a very good movie 
Oh. Is that movie as graphic as I've always heard it is? No, not really. All that stuff doesn't even happen till the end of the movie. There's like one scene that I would say is kind of if you don't like eyeball stuff, there's like one scene. And even then it's it's not really that bad. It's just I don't like eyeball stuff. So smallest things regarding eyeballs I don't makes me squeamish, but other than that, no, that movie's really not that disturbing. It's it's because to me, over the top gore isn't disturbing unless you can do it in a certain context, and in that context, it's just really not that scary. It's kind of just goofy. You actually, some of it's used for comedic effect, which is actually really effective when it's trying to be funny. Yeah, it just seems like what I remember when that I vaguely remember when that movie was coming out in theaters and just hearing a bunch of stuff about how like intense and graphic it was, and you know, it, it like I said. Like I've established on this podcast, it's not the type of movie that really like piques my interest or anything. But yeah, sometimes I just really like trashy movies. I don't know why. I just like them. Sometimes I like all kinds of movies. I mean, I like horny dumb comedies too, and I like I don't know. I like everything. But I was in the mood for like a kind of trashy movie, and my girlfriend's been wanting me to watch it for a while just to see my reaction. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I can't say anything. I, I watched bits and pieces of Adam Sandler movies this this week as as they were on TV, and you know, they were not very good movies at all. But I can still. Yeah, but I love some Adam Sandler movies too. Yeah, there's there's certain ones yeah. of his that are you know. Some some are just not funny, but I I love a good Adam Sandler movie. Same. And just to tease, that was almost what my hot take was going to be about, was Adam Sandler movie. I was honestly debating on making that my hot take. Because I think, that, I think that you know what you're getting in every Adam Sandler movie for, most, for the most part. And there's only, like, it's just kind of a mixed bag. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't choose it because I didn't feel convicted enough in it. Because I think I like enough Adam Sandler movies to justify me not just taking a big dump all over his other movies because i think everybody knows and i think even he would admit that you know he's definitely uh had some lackluster performances uh, but so that's not i don't I, I didn't think it qualified as a hot take so that's why so I, yeah, use it. I actually like this week i took the time to look at the rotten tomato scores for all his movies and you know obviously i, I know that he's made a bunch of bad movies but I was really surprised by, by the t- Rotten Tomato score on, like, there's probably, like, f- only four or five movies that he's been in that have, like, a, a, like a fresh score. The rest are, like, super, super low, which was kind of... I was going to say, like, Uncut Gems, Punch Drunk Love, The Meyerwitz Stories, and, like, Rain Over Me. Is that it? I, I'm not sure about Rain Over Me. There was... The other three, yeah, they were the. I mean, they're all really highly rated on there, but I can't remember what the other ones were. But like, even some of the the comedies that I think of that are actually like I actually really like that I think are pretty good, like Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, and The Waterboy. Like, even those are just they just have like terrible, terrible scores on there. And yeah, critics just don't like comedies of that type, and I get it. I mean. I think critics like movies more than than people like realize. I guess just like you have to cr- criticize it, even if you don't, you know, think it. Even if you like like it, you have to criticize it because, like, 
I, like I said, like I really enjoyed Green Inferno, but if I was a paid critic, I would like have to rip that movie apart if I was trying to be like a critic. Yeah. But see, everything shouldn't be judged on the same scale. I mean, Adam Sandler movie should be judged on like, you should know what you're getting into. So you should watch it through that lens. And I mean, I, I, there's certain movies of his that I thought were, uh, had some negative reviews that were kind of unfair. Because like, I, I think Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore are, are pretty good movies for what they are. I, think um, that's I don't think probably. art is objective anyway, so that's like a whole other debate. Yeah. I think that's probably not, and I don't want to get off on a tangent, but that's probably like describes me to a T as far as like my taste in movies and really just media in general. Like I'm very easy to please at times. I mean, I, I would say that having a different scale to judge things is probably something that's central to everything I enjoy. Like I, I can definitely watch, I mean, I'll watch critically acclaimed movies, but like I've said many times before, I mean, I'm a, I stand national treasure and like, you know, I could watch, I could watch national treasure one and two, like any day and just put them on in the background while I'm like working or doing homework or something like that. So yeah, I, I just wanted to, I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that is very fair because I'm scrolling through his rotten tomatoes sheet right now. And yeah, it's pretty, uh, you know, the, the fresh scores are like landmines out here. Cause everything else is, everything else is really bad, but yeah, I think it's fair. You have to be fair. You, you know what you're watching. You don't go into certain things expecting, you know, you don't watch the water boy, like expecting there will be blood. Exactly. Yeah. Very true. You don't judge those two movies on the same scale. I mean, hundred percent. Um, well, you guys gave me a lot of options this week. Uh, I can always count on you guys for that because you you guys definitely are the higher volume watchers uh, of content than I am. Uh, so I'm gonna have to add those, add your choices and uh, to my ever growing list of things I need to watch. Um, but I think it's time we kind of you know take a trip back and go to an oldie but a goodie and get back into some hot takes. Um, and I think we had decided that Jake, you were going to go first. Uh, so I'm excited to hear, I think you've been teasing this one at least since last week. And, uh, I'm excited to see what your hot take is this week. Yeah. So I've, I know that I've established with you guys that I think that Logan is the best superhero movie of all time. And I know, I know a lot of people say that, or think that the dark Knight is the best superhero movie. But my hot take is that The Dark Knight is no longer in the top three superhero movies of all time, and it may not even be in the top five. Um, I personally believe that Spider-Man 2, uh, the Sam Raimi uh, Spider-Man 2, is the second best superhero movie of all time. And then I think Infinity War and Endgame have both they both passed uh, the Dark Knights, and I would even be willing to uh, argue that there's some other MCU movies that uh, have made a a very solid run at the Dark Knight, like you know, maybe like Black Panther or uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or uh, the original Avengers, Winter Soldier. I think all those movies. I think it's fair to. Uh, I think they're legitimately as good as the Dark Knight. Um, I don't know if I'm willing to put them ahead of 
that movie yet, but as time goes on, I feel like I will. But Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, and Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, for me, are both, they both passed the Dark Knight. So that puts the Dark Knight right now at fifth, but it could move on down the list as time goes by. So um, I don't know if y'all agree with that. Uh, I feel like I feel like Cruz probably doesn't. I don't know about Matthew, um, but I, for a long time, like I've, I've always stand, uh, uh, stand for Spider-Man Two. I think that that movie is incredible. Um, so I, I've, you know, I even, I even debated like it's, it's closer to Logan than it is The Dark Knight. Like it's, I love that movie so much. I, I Spider-Man Two used to be my least favorite of the trilogy when I was a kid. That's that's crazy. Wow. It's, Just because I was a kid and I had the least amount of Spider-Man action, like yeah. the whole reason. Now that I'm older, like I'm, I realize that was foolish. I I just think Peter Parker's story and that in that movie is so good and so interesting and so relatable that like I will you know like the train scene and you know him giving up Spider-Man like the train scene is still just really like impactful for me and uh really powerful and it, it always gives me chills i don't know why um i just think that 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 alone is one of the best like it's, it's what you go into a superhero movie looking for like that that sense for the character and um i don't know i just i i feel like it's it's not talked about enough um i feel like you know as the years have gone by it kind of gets pushed off to the side and i, I don't i don't think that's fair i think it I think it still holds up as one of the best superhero movies ever. But I'm interested to hear y'all's opinion about The Dark Knight and where it places. I'll go ahead and go. Yeah, I'm conflicted here because on the one hand, I do love The Dark Knight. And I think that if anything, the biggest enemy for The Dark Knight is probably just the sheer volume at which it's discussed. I feel like I can't get on Twitter uh, really any day and not see someone you know talking about Heath Ledger or just that movie in general I mean I do follow a lot of movie accounts and things like that but still um yeah I don't know I think you're Spider-Man 2 I think you have Spider-Man 2 a little higher than I do I, I have I have staled slightly on the Raimi Spider-Man movies I still do enjoy them they're really really fun to watch but I definitely think going back and watching them later on i think that they all kind of share like a similar they're all they're all sort of the same movie two is far and away the best one of the trilogy that that's that's no debate i think it's easily the best and it's it would probably fall into my i I definitely think it's still in my top 10 i don't have it i definitely don't have it as highly ranked as you but about the dark knight i think i think it's pretty fair to kind of shift it back because as we've discussed many times, I think a lot of, I think fair or not, you know, I think a lot of the kind of legacy of that movie is, is lifted up a little bit by, you know, the tragedy of, you know, us losing Heath Ledger after the movie was filmed. I definitely think whether that's fair or not, and I don't mean any disrespect at all, but I do think that that is worthy of mentioning that it plays a factor in how people remember that movie. Um, not that it's not great. I've seen it several times and I could watch it any day of the week, but I do think that as the time has gone on, I I think I'm with you at least on it, not being, if someone 
acted if someone was offended at you not having it number one i definitely think that would be silly because i think the past 10 years have seen the biggest boom in the quality of superhero movies like we we have been just blessed with as many good superhero movies as you would want to see um so i think it's only natural that there there are movies that have surpassed it in terms of quality I think definitely the Winter Soldier is an argu- has an ar- argument to be there. Yeah, um, I, I do. You know, more the more I think about it, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I do think that I would probably put the I I would rather rewatch the Winter Soldier than watch the Dark Knight. So yeah, and here and here's where we get. Uh, I don't want to take up too much time, but here's where we get into that territory, like we were just talking about, where how do you grade things? Because the original Avengers movie that you brought up is near and dear to my heart. It's the movie that made me fall in love with the MCU as a whole. Um, on, but on the other hand, going back and watching that movie, I definitely think it is a very corny, you know, kind of traditional superhero movie. But the things that it does right, it does so well that it kind of overshadows the rest of the movie. Um, so I think as a whole, I think Winter Soldier is is kind of the, it is definitely just super solid throughout, but I do think my, my personal favorite MCU movie is Infinity War. So I would have Infinity War ahead of Dark Knight. I would probably have Winter Soldier ahead of Dark Knight as of right now. Um, Endgame 2, and that, and again, I, I think Endgame has a lot of flaws as a film itself, but for what it means to that universe as a whole and the things that it does at, at least in the last third of that movie are so well done and so amazing that I can't I can't put it any lower than you know four or five on my list I mean it's just I wouldn't be able to sleep at night so, I'd like to add to that like I, I kind of view Infinity War and Endgame as one big movie yeah like, yeah that's that's fair I mean it, some people might say that that's not fair but I mean I, I think you kind of have to it. but I, I do think infinity war is the better film but for sure I, I think you do have to kind of put them there i to, to make a long story short I, I think it's completely fair i don't think it's disrespectful to the dark knight to say that it's you know possibly fifth sixth on the list i mean I, there's just been a ton of great superhero movies and i think it's i never i never want to put things on a pedestal just because they came first you know i don't i don't want to I don't want to be one of those people that says, well, I'm never going to see a movie better than this. You know, if I see something four or five years from now, then, you know, at the time when I saw The Dark Knight, I probably never thought I'd see a better movie. And then, you know, obviously I've seen Infinity War, I've seen Endgame, I've seen Winter Soldier, and that's kind of changed. So, I mean, I don't know. I I definitely think that's a fair assessment. Cruz, uh, I will let you speak because I have have exhausted my time. (laughs) Probably the one who disagrees the most with take. Uh, but at the same time, in in defense of of like you guys though, is I'm I don't I'm not into I'm not into superhero films as much. So like, really like, I'm probably not even the best person to even like give my opinion on this, just because like I'm not into superhero films as much because I was never um big comic book guy growing up in terms of issues. I loved graphic novels i didn't read like comic book uh batman stories i read the killing joke and like watchmen and the uh the craven's last hunt like i really liked these like self-contained graphic novels um 
But from a filmmaking perspective, I would put The Dark Knight over a lot of MCU films. And I don't hate on MCU. I like MCU. Also, I guess just from you were saying, like, where Jake, where you were saying, like, I would go back to a lot of MCU films over The Dark Knight. Like, it's the opposite for me. Um, I watch MCU films and I go, that was really good. I really enjoyed it. And I feel like nothing else. It doesn't stay in my mind much longer until like I'm brought back to go rewatch it. Not all of them. Some of them do stick with me. But with the Dark Knight, it's like Dark Knight. It's like I walk away and I will go, I really enjoyed that. And then the and then the longer I sit with it, I'm like, oh, you know, that was really smart and that was really good how they did that and that performance and that shot and how they pulled that off and what this meant thematically. I still think The Dark Knight's a pretty great film, um, but that is more from like I just think it it's I think but I think what makes it something special is just as I think it's because it transcends its its genre a little bit more. I don't even The Dark Knight doesn't even feel like a Batman movie. The Dark Knight feels like crime drama. In fact, when I go watch The Dark Knight, I don't even really about it is it's a crime drama i mean i don't think about it as a comic book movie i just think of it as a crime drama and so maybe from what i personally think is the more well-made film i would probably put the dark knight in the top three now if we're talking about favorites and just what you enjoy more i wouldn't put the dark knight in my top three either i would put the entire sam raimi trilogy because the sam raimi trilogy my favorite superhero films um just because i love spider-man i grew up with spider-man um i read like all of his graphic novels um Earth of venom all that i think i still have like some of the books the movies are corny they might not have necessarily aged very well but there's so much heart and creativity and i think i think they really get spider-man down perfectly in that trilogy i even love spider-man 3 I, it's got issues i think some of those issues are over exaggerated i think some of those issues are very valid uh, mainly when venom comes in i love all of the spider-man films and also from a comic book perspective i like it when comic book movies get a little more kind of you know colorful and kind of you know gothic because although I think The Dark Knight is like one of the most well-made films of the comic book genre, my favorite Batman film is Tim Burton's 89 Batman because it just kind of, that movie reminds me more of like the Batman comics I read. And I really like it when, I like it when comic book movies are, they have that comic book sensibility to them, that kind of like, Whimsical fantasy element, but they're still dark and willing to take risks. I think that might be why I never get super attached to the MCU. I respect the MCU, but I kind of always know that they're going to keep people around. I think that's why I liked Infinity War so much. Is even though I knew they would come back, that ending was like really shocking, and I was really into it. Like Logan, that fantasy element and. It still feels grounded in their stakes. Same thing with the Sam Raimi trilogy. Same thing with still some of the um, MCU films. I really love the Guardian of the Galaxy films. Um, and like I said, Tim Burton's Batman films. So I would maybe argue that The Dark Knight is still in the top three of just really well written, really well acted. 
but I don't even think it's fair because I think the Dark Knight feels more like a crime, not like a crime film. So in terms of like movies that really feel like they're in the comic book world and are still really well done, I probably also wouldn't put it in the top five. But I guess I copped out. Well, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, it's like what you're saying about it not really feeling like a superhero movie. Um, that's that's definitely true, and that that's a compliment towards it. I mean, it it does kind of transcend its genre, but I think that really the ultimate thing that kind of as time has gone by, I've realized that I just don't really like Christian Bale's Batman. Um, I, I, no, I agree with that. And I, I don't. Like, I like Christian Bale's Batman in terms of like his arc until it's ruined in The Dark Knight Rises. I think his arc is ruined in The Dark Knight Rises. I actually really do like. I really actually I do like his Batman, um, except for when he's Batman. I like his Bruce Wayne, and I yeah, like that's what I say. He's, yeah. he's a good his Bruce Wayne, but he's not like a great Batman. His voice is so goofy, and he just sounds out of breath every time he talks. Like it is really bad. And then he's I, just cracking in all three films. I always spend the Dark Knight like just despising Rachel. Um, I can't stand her character, and if, I don't know if that's just me, but I just. No, I, I see what you're. I see what you're saying. I mean, I always find her irritating. I, I to touch on Bale's performance. I think he. I do think you're right about that. As time goes on, like it, it's more apparent to me that he is like baseline Batman. Like if you, there's been so many iterations of Batman, but like if you want, like I feel like he's good enough to belong in the universe that nolan created like as as much as the production value and just everything that nolan put on the screen i feel like he was good enough to justify himself being the centerpiece of a dark nine trilogy um and you you mentioned tim burton's batman and i agree with that as well because it feels like with that when you're watching that it feels like you're watching someone that was inspired actually by comics whereas nolan is taking an IP and just make making a really, really good movie using that IP, um, which is either, either approach is fine. And, and also one thing to get in touch, it's really about semantics at this point though. But when you say best comic book movie, like it, it, just, it all depends on how that hits your ear because you could say like, well, what movie, you know, what movie has the most comic feel to it? Or what is, does it just mean the best movie that happens to be based off comic IP? Um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of, I guess, semantics, but I, I, and then there's also like superhero versus comic book, because there's also movies that are technically comic book movies that we would never consider because it's superhero. I mean, Snowpiercer, that's a yeah. graphic novel for Vendetta. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I, and I do agree. It, it's it's an extremely well made movie, and it does take more you know artistic liberties than most of the MCU movies. I, I will admit to that, um, even though I'm a you know self proclaimed MCU stand. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's still a fantastic movie, and I but I don't think it's a slight to say that there may be some that have surpassed it, uh, and and that could always change. But I, as of right now, I think I agree with Jake. I think we can all agree that really the best comic book movie is Batman v Superman, the Snyder Cut. It's a movie we don't deserve. Mortal, <laughs> I, normal human eyes aren't meant to watch such masterpiece. I agree. 
Oh man. That's great. I always love talking about comic book movies. I can always. Yeah, we're going to have to review the Snyder cut of Justice League when it finally comes out. I'll tell you what, when it comes out, you know what? I'll still, I'll still just can't. I, you know what? Until it comes out, I, I don't want, I don't know. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to keep my tinfoil hat on. It's real, Matthew. It's no, here, here's the thing for all the viewers who are just salivating or listeners who are salivating to hear my Snyder, a piece of my Snyder cut take. The movie never existed. They're having to make, they're having to finish it. It didn't, it wasn't sitting on a shelf. They're having to pay millions of dollars to fix it. Okay, that's it. it it's not, it wasn't real. It's going to be real, but it wasn't real. That's it. That's all I had to say. But anyway, I'm sure we'll cover it. I'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing it. I do want to see it too, out of curiosity. But yeah, so, um, Cruz, do you want to do your take next? Uh, or, or I'll do my take. Okay, go ahead. All right. My take is um, about Jordan Peele. So I feel bad for Jordan Peele because Jordan Peele became super popular, and he's already gotten to that point where now it's cool to hate on him. I see so many people try to just say he's garbage. Just, just poor guy. He didn't even get to make more than two movies, and now he's already like the it's cool to hate him. Um but hot take is regarding his two films, Get Out and Us. Um, I think both are great. I love both movies, so this is not a slot to Get Out. But popular opinion is that Get Out is still the stronger film of Us. And personally, I love Us more. I understand. If um, I do understand if people, why people um, love Get Out more than Us because. It does have a tighter script, and um, it kind of just flows a little bit better. Where us is like much, you know, the script is a lot looser, and there's kind of things that are not always explained. But I don't really consider that a flaw in the film. I think that film's themes and the allegory that it's trying to do with that movie is so powerful and so well done, and he gives you just enough where yeah there i guess there are certain things you can question where it's like well how did this happen and how did this happen and how did this happen and it might not make sense in the in the world of the film it really perfectly makes sense in allegorical sense and what that and what those things are supposed to represent and it's one of those films where might be a little bit messier than Get Out, but I think it's being messier because it's going for bigger themes. And I don't always think being a little bit messy is an inherently bad thing. I think if you're if you get a little bit messy to go for bigger themes and you really hit those themes, then I think you're just as worthy of, of being highly praised. There's a couple of films I could name as an example, but I think also, I think Us is an upgrade from a filmmaking perspective. I think there's better cinematography, better use of music and editing. Um, I will even say better performances in that film. And I think his sh- his his um, use of comedy and tension and like horror in Us is more effective as well. I love Get Out. I think Get Out is an amazing film. I really do. And I love that movie. But there's a movie I'm going to go back to. And if there's a movie that has hit me more and has uh, made me want to continue thinking about it and delving into it and analyzing it, although both films have done that, Us does it for me more. 
my hot take. Well, that's definitely, um, I did not expect that. I, and I'm glad, I'm thankful that your take was not going to mirror the people that you were mentioning, because I, I do agree that I think it's unfair of, of people to hate on Jordan Peele. And it, it is, it, he's so good. Yeah, it's definitely already the, the cool thing to do, and you're, you're 100% right about that. I, to preface this, my response, I definitely want to go ahead and say I have only seen Us one time. I saw it in the theaters. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I personally go ahead and get this out of the way. I still prefer Get Out. I, I've only seen it twice, but, you know, I prefer Get Out. And and I think it's only because, I mean, I, I could rewatch Us tomorrow and, and change this opinion. Uh, I just, like I said, I wanted to get that out there for full disclosure. but. I think you're definitely right about us is something that I feel like when I, when I walked out of it, I probably had the idea that I would need to watch it again to fully kind of just absorb what it's trying to say. Whereas get out, I think the first time you watch get out, when you walk out of the theater, you know exactly what the message was. You know exactly what the themes are, the tone, like, you know, you know what Jordan Peele is trying to say. And I think that, in the context of the film, it's it works perfectly. I think some movies, like you mentioned, with what you watch, something you watch this week, you know, there's there can be some movies that kind of drill you in the head with their message, and it's it seems patronizing. But I feel like Get Out is done well enough to where you understand the themes, but they don't feel ham-fisted. They they just feel real, um, for lack of a better word. So I think it works in that context, and that's why I enjoyed it more. Not to say that a movie requiring multiple viewings or, or critical thinking is is bad. It's definitely not bad. Um, I just think on the surface level, that's probably why I enjoy Get Out more. But I'm also not as equipped to fully dive into the conversation because I have only seen Us once. I do agree with you that the script for Get Out is definitely a little tighter but the liberty, the artistic liberties taken in us probably go the extra mile. And he definitely, you know, the the shifts in comedy that he took were very noticeable because in Get Out, you have these actual dark, humorous moments where the comedy is there because of how the, the comedy is there because the characters are representing people that we see in real life and interact with in real life for better or worse. And in us, you know, there's those macabre moments of, you know, like the the scene where they go to um, Elizabeth Olsen's house. I can't remember. I don't know her character's name, but you know, that whole scene is funny in a more grandiose way. And I don't know. I think each film has its definite strengths. But as of right now, I'd still say I prefer Get Out. But I'd have to watch Us again to really give my proper score. So, Jake, uh, what is, what are your thoughts? Well. My thoughts are really simple on it. Uh, I'm not going to really get into, you know, the detail that y'all did. Uh, Basically, my thoughts on the the two are that when I went back to watch, when I watched Us for a second time, I just, while I think it's a very good movie, it's as simple as I didn't really enjoy watching it it again um, for whatever reason. Whereas Get Out, I've seen it uh, a number of times, and every time I watch it, like if it's on TV, I'm, I'm going to watch it. And I just don't feel the same way about us for whatever reason. Um, like I said, I think it's good, um, but I don't know. It just it it just 
doesn't I, I mean I really like I said I don't have the words I don't have a reason for it I just don't like the movie as much um, and it, it is good and you know I, watching it in theaters I remember me and Matthew watched it at the same time and you know I had high expectations for the movie and I walked out and I was you know I was happy with what I just watched thought it was very good but I don't know it just hasn't it just hasn't like I guess stood the test of time for me not in terms of like how well made the movie is just like as far as like what I'm interested in it just it doesn't hold my interest interest as well as uh get out does so that's really all I have to say about it um uh, I think both of y'all made some very good points um and I agree with most of what you said it's just I don't know I guess us is just not my thing as much as get out is yeah, and I also want to add, I think it's fair that if Us were to come out, were to have come out before Get Out, I think that I would view it very differently. Because going into Us, I definitely had a, probably an unrealistic expectation of a of a movie based on what I had seen in Get Out. And, you know, not that that doesn't mean that it, it lived up to my expectations. I, I just think that if, if it would have been the first thing Jordan Peele made, or directed, I probably would have, you know, raved about it just as much as I did get out. Yeah. Well, and also I just want to say, like, I do love both movies. And the one thing I'll say about get out is, um, one thing I'll say about get out is a lot of people use the word classic very liberally. They like throw classic around. Um, but Get Out is one of those few movies, at least for me, where when you watch it, you do kind of feel like you just walked out of a movie that will be a classic. It's got like a classic feel to it, like something that'll feel timeless. Um, I think Get Out definitely has that. And also, I do think um, I do think you guys made good points when you were saying that just get more out of Get Out. Because I will say that I get a lot out of both movies. And I really love kind of Get Out's themes on like racism and like in in like kind of kind of like secret, more kind of backhanded racism and like neoliberalism and stuff like that. But I think the reason I get so much out of Us is because I read a I've I've, I've read a but a bunch on like political theory, and I get like really interested when in about like class and themes on stuff like that and i guess because that movie is more about more about class and and like class struggles and class revolutions instead of uh more so in that than in get out i think that might also be why i love us so much because like i watched us and i really loved it and then i watched it again and i really got that class element out of it like i i just loved it even more and more and more um, whereas I do love the the themes of Get Out, but also I guess with the themes of Get Out, um, I guess because also I'm not as affected by it because I'm not you know I'm not a black person who is you know kind of given these backhanded compliments from, from other people. So I mean, also there's that disconnect, I guess. Even though I still you know get a lot out of that film. Uh, but also, I guess that's also just a thing, too. I think both films are great, and I can understand why someone prefers either film over the other one. I do think it's just, I think I get more out of the themes with us. 
it's definitely very fair. I mean, I, I still, like I said, I love both films, and it's made me want to. I, I, I need to go back and watch Us again because I, I am interested in those themes as well. Like you said, uh, I definitely, I definitely want to go back with the the mindset of having seen it and you know be looking for new new things that I didn't notice the first time. Um, but if y'all don't have anything else, I think I'm going to fire my hot take off here and, uh, close this segment out. So I'm going to kind of, you know, just go into my hot take. It's about an actor who I think gets lumped in with actors and actresses that are much above his, um, his quality as an actor. I think that for what they do and the performances they have given, I think that they are good at what they do, but I definitely don't think that they warrant being lumped into the discussion of greatest actors of all time. I definitely just think they're a one-trick pony, save for a save for a movie here or there. It's definitely not black, all black and white, but I think for the most part, they're a one-trick pony that does one thing very well, and people think that because of that and because of how many iconic movies they have been in that they are, you know, should be like on the Mount Rushmore of actors. And I could not disagree more. I still do like this actor, but I think my hot take centers more on just how they are perceived. And that actor is Tom Cruise. Your thoughts? Oh, 100% agree. I hate Tom Cruise. I think I just hate Tom Cruise more as a person of some of the things he said that's irked me but i've never found him to be like i've i 100 agree every time i watch his movies i just think i'm watching tom cruise given what you said like a few exceptions hilarious in uh, tropic thunder his performance in tropic thunder is one that jumps out to me as something that's so different from what he typically does and when i when i scroll through his filmography it it, may, it does make me feel a little bit jaded because he's been in so many movies that like people would probably say, oh my god, that's an iconic movie, that's a classic. But it's just like I don't know. He he's he's Tom Cruise in every movie. I mean, granted, he he does a great job at what he does, but it's just yeah, I don't know. I I I did have a suspicion that you guys would feel the same way. Um, I think he's fine for what he does. I just don't I don't yeah. appreciate hearing or entertaining conversations about him being like in the pantheon of just great actors. Some of his movies that he's like iconic for, he's not even iconic for his performance. He's iconic for his stunts. Like, like mission impossible movies. They get a lot of hop. He gets a lot of hop in those movies, but it's not because he gives like a tour de force performance. It's because, Oh, he actually climbed a building or hung off the side of a, of a plane, which is cool. That's cool. But I agree. Like, I would say Tropic Thunder and, Magnolia are the exceptions. I wouldn't even say his Stanley Kubrick movie, Eyes Wide Shut, is an exception, even though he's good in that, and I think that movie's great. But, I mean, he doesn't do a lot in that film that, like, impresses me. He's a, he's actually rather emotionless, which is a thing in a lot of Kubrick movies. So I would give him, like, two performances that I can think of off the bat where he really, like, goes out of his zone. He's, I agree, he's pretty good in uh, Rain Man. Oh, yeah, Rain Man. I forgot about that one. But I will sum up my Tom Cruise opinion by just saying that he stars in movies that I don't want to watch. Like, when, <laughs> Especially now yeah. when I see that like, there's a trailer for a Tom Cruise movie, I'm just like, okay, well, I'm not going to watch that movie. 
it's not like a slot on him necessary. It's just like necessarily. It's just that the types of movies that, like Matthew said, that he his his one trick is playing in these action type movies that I have absolutely zero interest in. Uh, I've never seen a Mission Impossible movie. I have no desire to see a Mission Impossible movie. Although I did, I will say I kind of wanted to watch the the, the last one, uh, Fallout, uh, just because it had a. Uh, Henry Cavill in it. But. That's what I was gonna say. I don't. I don't want to let this to go unnoticed. Mission Impossible Fallout is one of the better action movies that has been released in, in recent memory. It, it is good. I do enjoy that. I did enjoy that movie. Um, but yeah, that's like the only Mission Impossible movie I've seen. But it, it was good. I did enjoy it. So I just want to, you know, give credit where it's due. But go ahead. I actually do want to go and watch those. I've only seen the Henry first Cavill. one. Dude, Henry Cavill in that movie is he is he he's he's a he's a monster. He's so big in that movie. I know he's huge anyway, <laughs> but he he is he's a force in that movie. It's really great. But go ahead. I I just I do want to watch some of those new ones. I saw the first one because it was directed by Brian De Palma, and I really enjoyed it. And I saw the fourth one, which is when it really made the big shift into being these like really loved action movies. And I liked the fourth one. I just never got around to seeing the ones after that. So, I mean, I would like to go see him. I don't hate Tom Cruise as an actor. I don't like him as a person, but uh, I just agree with you. I think he's very one-note, given a few exceptions. Yeah. yeah we could we could probably spend an hour or two if we uh, divulged into him as a person, because, yeah, he's not the most... Uh, he doesn't have the most intrinsic qualities. Uh, I will say I do, I do like him in... Uh... Steven Spielberg, Spielberg's War of the Worlds movie. I like him too. I don't think that's like a, but I don't think that's like a, I think that's just him being him and it just works for them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But also, Jake, what's that other movie by Tom Cruise you love? What was it? The The Mummy? That The Mummy 2017 one? Oh, gosh. I did not see that movie other than the few scenes as a movie theater employee that I stood in there and watched part of it and Good lord, that movie looked terrible. I it's mean, so just, bizarre. Just absolutely atrocious. It's so bizarre to me that a company with so much money and with an actor like Tom Cruise, which, as we discussed, I mean, he he has a you know a proven action movie regiment, but it, it's just so bizarre to me that they could make a movie that bad. And that movie yeah, killed their movie universe that they were I mean, the yeah, monster universe they plan on doing. They still have uh, at the dark universe on Twitter. It's still there, and the pick the one tweet where they have the entire like lineup of actors. Which looking back on it, it's kind of depressing because that lineup of actors and actress uh, was pretty impressive. It was what Javier. Are they retrying it now? Aren't they going to retry it? Because didn't they just announce the new Wolfman movie? Well, yeah, running, I think, the you Wolfman. Know, they, because technically, technically, the Invisible Man with Elizabeth Olsen that came out this year it is technically part. It was intended to be part of the Dark Universe, and it. I guess it still is. Um, so, with the success of that film, yeah, I think I think they may try to rekindle some things. See, I have to correct you. It's Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. I keep saying Elizabeth Olsen. Second time you said it. Second time. I, I get I get them confused for no reason other than, you know why? Those great actresses. No, it's because Elizabeth Moss plays Peggy Olsen in Mad Men. So I think I think Olsen when I see her. That makes her, sense. I I don't know. I guess that's it. But yeah. So hopefully with the Invisible Man being successful, you know they they can maybe kind of rekindle that. But I. 
you know, I don't, I don't even think that movie was anything super special. I think it was solid, but you I know, still got to watch it. Knows. I think it was okay. I, I definitely enjoyed yeah. it. it. It was a fun theater experience. I'll say that. Fun. Well, um, I think, you know, those are always short and sweet when we all, when we all agree on the same hot take. Um, are you guys ready to talk about Dr. Strangelove? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we will get to that momentarily. Here is the review for Dr. Strangelove. So yeah, this week we're, uh, we're talking about Dr. Strangelove, which is like we talked about last week is definitely the oldest movie that we've, uh, discussed so far on this podcast. Um, it came out in 1964 and directed by Stanley Kubrick. I've been very vocal about my opinions on a certain uh, film of Kubrick. Um, I want that to be clear that I, I really think Kubrick's an amazing director. I mean, that's you know a really easy statement to make. He's considered one of the best. and I certainly don't disagree with that, even though I haven't seen a lot of his movies or I haven't seen all of his movies. Um, I definitely agree that he is one of the best of all time. I just happen to not like that particular film. But Dr. Strangelove, I think, is probably, of the films I've seen of his, I think it's my favorite. Um, just to kind of briefly summarize what, it, what it's about. Um, it's, the movie starts with the... We're introduced to the characters on this B-52 bomber that's carrying a nuclear bomb that they're kind of they're they're targets in Russia, but you know they have to be cleared to attack and given the orders. Well, the movie in this movie they receive the orders of wing attack plan R, which um, they're all very shocked to uh, see these orders because this plan means that they are to proceed to drop a bomb in uh, Russia. So uh, as it turns out, these orders have been given by a, a military general that has absolutely lost his mind, who is concerned about his the well-being of the American people's bodily fluids. Um, so because of this, he orders the, these guys to uh, drop the bomb on Russia and really the other part of the movie, the other group of characters that we follow, or the uh, president and, and his men uh, in the war room at the Pentagon, trying to figure out how to uh, how to stop how to stop this plane, how to how to really um, you know get everything back to normal. And obviously, the, the spool ending. They do not. They manage to stop every every plane except for the one that's piloted by the the crew that were first introduced, uh, which is led by Slim Pickens and uh, a young James Earl Jones and a few other actors. I'm not sh not sure of their names, but they're ultimately able to drop the bomb on a uh, on their target in Russia or a different target than they're what they're originally going after. And from there, we have the activation of the Russian doomsday machine that uh, I'm sure we'll talk about at length. Uh, there's some great lines that go along with the discussion about the doomsday machine, so I'll, I'll save that. But basically, it activates a chain link uh, of other nuclear bombs that create a 
you know, the ultimate uh, nuclear holocaust, uh, doomsday type scenario. So that's the basic, the basic summary of the movie. It's obviously uh, a comedy, but it also is very relevant, and it's it's you know strangely and sadly relevant to today's times, and also very relevant for the time period in which it was made. Obviously, we were right in the middle of the Cold War, and uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about this later. I know I know Matthew mentioned it. But there's some. It's kind of scary how um, how accurate some of the stuff in the movie is, even though it's you know a comedy. So uh, I'm interested to see what you guys think about this. I know this was Matthew's first time to watch it. Cruz has seen it before. So um, Matthew, is there anything you want to go ahead and add? Yeah, um, like you said, this was my first viewing of this film, and I was. I was not primed in any way before watching this. I, I did not look up anything. I did not read anything. So the really the the subject matter of this movie was a complete surprise to me. I I was very uh you know it took me I guess it's that that took me that maybe take an extra five to ten minutes to kind of really sink in the movie uh, when it started. I was really just kind of taken aback. I was like, okay, this is this is the movie I'm watching, but. I really did enjoy it. It was kind of like, to me, like you mentioned slow burn earlier. I think I would categorize this to me as kind of like a slow burn film, but it's, I think, I think the com the, the, the thing I enjoyed most about it was the subtlety of its humor and how it used, you know, the imagery it used to kind of, those, those are the funniest parts of the movie to me. Uh, not getting into the actual themes and the, political messages of the film but you know just little things uh that stick out to me like when there's the uh the war the fighting scene the the gun fighting scene and the, it pans on a sign that says uh, keep off the grass uh while they're having like a you know a dog fight in that in that uh industrial yard um but i think as a whole i really did enjoy this movie and it was something of you know like you said, going back and reading some things in in pre- preparation for this pod, um, it it is very shocking to see how true a lot of the events of the film are, and just to see a you know creative critique or creative um, look into the absurdity of nuclear war and something that was very possible at, during that time. Um, I, I just really. I really enjoyed how it took it took something that we have all been primed about, you know, whether you're growing up learning about it in history classes, you know, the Cold War and nuclear armaments. I, I do enjoy how it kind of boiled everything down to be a human a humanized experience, something that, you know, we we kind of see the absurdity of, of man in all of the characters at one given at one time or another. Um but yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I don't, um, I don't think that I, pro- I probably don't hold it as in high of regard as you do. But I definitely did enjoy it, and I think that it's something that maybe if I watch again, I'll get even more of more out of it. But uh, Cruz, what what is your uh, initial take after this watch, after this viewing? Hey, I love this. Um, the thing, the funny thing with Kubrick is that um, I was a kid. Uh, I like loved movies growing up as a kid, and I stayed at my grandparents' house a lot. And my grandfather 
owned a bunch of Kubrick movies. And that's kind of how I discovered Kubrick is my grandfather was like, you like movies, you got to watch Kubrick. And he, which my grandfather is a great guy and probably a little questionable though for how young I was, all the movies he sat me down and showed me from Kubrick. I mean, he showed me like a Clockwork Orange when I was like <laughs> very young. Um, and and he showed me like a bunch of films and this was one of the films he, sh- he showed me, but really, um, the thing with Kubrick is that like I've watched a bunch of his films and I haven't seen a lot of them since I've gotten older, but I've remained reading about them. And, um, I don't remember a lot of them in terms of experience, except for a clockwork orange in the shining. Cause that's the one I kept going back and watching and eyes wide shut. Um, but like 2001, a space odyssey, and uh, Full Metal Jacket in this film, like, uh, I remember them, watching them when I was younger, but I don't really remember them too much, like, scene for scene. Um, and I forgot how much I loved this movie. Also, I was too young. I didn't understand this movie. This, this viewing, I really loved it. I laughed so much. There are so many quotable scenes in this film. Um, and I just got a lot out of it. Um, I, I I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was unfortunately very relevant to today and timely, especially with the growing incompetence of our uh, government and um and some of just you know the the questionable uh, motivations of our military at times, or at least you know the the upper upper rankings. But also really liked how, despite how funny it was, there was like this kind of like really kind of existential dread throughout the whole movie. And it becomes more and more like noticeable as it goes on. I just really found myself loving every bit of this movie when I revisited it. I was really, I'm really glad Jake picked it because I was shocked at how much I loved it. This is, this is one of those times where like a director will do something really different from his career and it ends up working. It's kind of like Kubrick's punch drunk love because I mean, Kubrick plays around with humor. I mean, he purposely will like, that's kind of like his thing is like, he'll make his movies like really dry and distant. And that's on purpose because like he wants his movies to be like both disturbing yet kind of comical. Uh, you see that in the shining and clockwork orange, like those movies like a lot of disturbing stuff, but you know, sometimes it'll be so absurd that it kind of becomes almost kind of a dark comedy. And I know that that's like been like on purpose. Um, but this is a flat out comedy. This is like a 90 minute, just a, this is a comedy. I think this is the one film in his filmography where he just wanted to make a straight up comedy. And I think it's great. I really loved it a lot. Yeah. This, uh, this movie is hilarious. Like you said, there's, I have a hard time like picking which line I think is the funniest because there's so many great ones. But I've got a whole list of them that we can, I'll talk about oh, later. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, this is, I don't, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I definitely think that 2001 is probably his best movie, Kubert's best movie. But this is my favorite. Um, for sure. I, I just, I really. Every time I watch it, I pick up on something else that I just, I just find it hilarious. And you know, talking about it, like your experience watching it for the first time was, you know, I my dad. This was a movie that my dad, growing up, like always tried to get me to watch. And um, I'm, just, you know, I, just, I guess I was too young to be interested in it. 
and you know when I finally did watch it, which is really I watched it for the first time a couple of years ago, and uh, honestly, it probably cracks the top top. It's probably top three like comedies for me. If you really like full scale consider it a comedy, and I guess I do, even though it's you know it's got some very very serious subject matter. Um, I was kind of surprised reading about this movie the how how it was criticized when it first came out because you know people were saying that it was you know you had it was basically criticized by some some like military authorities that it was totally unrealistic. But after after reading about it, it was, you know, we said we touched on it later, but it sounds like it was pretty accurate. And I think that, you know, that's kind of a mark of good satire is that it was able to, you know, really, really be funny, but touch on these very serious themes and actually be accurate in in touching on those themes. Also, that's every Kubrick movie. Kubrick's famous for his movies being hated when they first come out. Then, like, everyone turned around and loving them later on. Yeah. Um, I think it's a sign of how ahead of the game he was. I mean, the fact that you make movies and almost every time you put out a movie, everyone doesn't like it or criticize it. And then, like, down the road, everyone kind of goes, oh, you know what? No, it was actually really good. You know, that's, to me, that's really a compliment, like, in the long run. Yeah, I agree for sure. Um, you know, yeah. I also, you have something uh, you want to add, Matthew? No, it was nothing. Barely, but it, I was just going to say that it, it definitely, you know, another part of it is that it was kind of talked about as if it was Soviet propaganda, not even just anti-military propaganda. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to go ahead and bring up uh, some of the acting and characters in this movie. Oh, Obviously. Sure. Obviously, Peter Sellers is probably the standout. Uh, him playing three different roles in the movie is uh, the British captain, uh, Mandrake, and uh, the U.S. president, and the title character, Dr. Strangelove. Um, you know, he's... I think my favorite out of, out of those characters is definitely the Captain Mandrake, who's trapped on the, on the base with uh, the General Ripper, who's just totally went insane and was worried about fluoridation of the water and uh, the Russians wanting our, want, are really affecting our bodily fluids. Um, that's, you know, that, that role is, that character is just hilarious. I, I love the, I love the scene where he, they have to get quarters from the Coca-Cola machine and, Oh yeah, I forgot the character's name. But so you'll have to you'll have to answer to the Coca Cola company. That that's one of the that was one of my favorite parts is that they 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 primed you because they said uh, I think his name was um, I actually had it pulled up here a second ago. Guano. Yeah, Bat Guano. This is name Colonel Bat Guano. It's he he says. But if you don't get the president of the United States on that phone, you know what's going to happen to you. And we've been primed the whole time to think that he'd probably blow his brains out. But he's like, what? He's like, you're going to have to answer the Coca-Cola company. But yeah, I love it when it first starts. When he's like, shoot the Coca-Cola machine. He's like, shoot the lock off. And he's like, that's private property. That's and private I property. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is so good. Outraged by the attack on private property, which is 
you know, uh, kind of relevant what's going on right now. There's all these in the movie. There's the horror of you just had military U.S. military fighting against each other and killing each other, and people are more con- the character in this movie is more concerned with the damage to uh, the Coca-Cola machine, which you know yeah. we're not gonna get into the fault get into that stuff right now, but. Uh, I also want to talk about George C. Scott's character. Uh, who plays General Buck Turgenson, who I also think is, if Peter Sellers is the main draw of this movie, then George C. Scott is definitely like just narrowly behind him. See, I, I was going to say, at least on this viewing, and maybe it's because I had never seen it before, or I, I guess I was just drawn to it. I think I think his performance is probably my favorite in the movie. Um, I, I think I laughed most watching just his his character just squirming on the screen at, at certain things that were happening. I mean, one of the funniest the first the first big laugh for me because I'll admit the first like thirty minutes I was kind of just I didn't really know what I was watching and I was just like okay I see I see where we're going here but when he when he was on the phone with his uh, love interest uh, in, was- <laughs> in the war room and he says he says you know, no, it's not just physical. And then he says, I completely respect you as a human being. <laughs> I, I don't know why that part just that killed me. <laughs> I can't speak right now, but I'll call you back later. I always, like, you know you're not supposed to call in this room. <laughs> I also think it's hilarious when he's, you know, he's always trying to, he's all about just using this opportunity to just go ahead and wipe out the Russians. And <laughs> At one point he just refers, you know, I can't remember the full statement, but he's talking about that it would be, uh, you know, we'd lose some people, but it would be, it'd be worth it. <laughs> he makes the statement that, you know, no more than 10 to 20 million would be killed. Top. <laughs> That's or, the line I had pulled up. Mr. President, <laughs> I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair must, but I do say yeah. no more than 10 to 20 killed, 10, 10 to 20 million killed tops, uh, depending on the breaks. So, yeah, it, it's incredible. And I and I also like the just it was kind of subtle thinking about it at the time, but like the the whole first scene when we get introduced to him when he has his um I want to give her name um Tracy Reed's character Miss Scott uh, when she's answering the phone I I think that was probably a pretty you know key decision there to, just like because we know the nature of the call and the fact that he's just so reluctant to answer the phone or speak on the phone about anything. It just he keeps he keeps pushing it off and pushing it off, even though it's obviously an urgent situation. I just I enjoyed that as well. But yeah, he he's definitely I think he's definitely my favorite uh, part of this movie. But sir, he'll he'll see the big board. <laughs> oh my gosh! But really, like truthfully, I think my favorite line in the entire movie is uh, definitely the Peter Sellers is the president one. <laughs> He says, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Oh, 100%. I was going to say that. It, it, that's that's fine, too. It's it's so good. But yeah, that's, that's that line's great. Also, the the I think it's the last line of the movie when Doctor Strange loves talking. He's like, mein Führer, I can walk. He just like stands up finally. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all he's the, just talking the whole time. And all the conversations with uh, the Russian leader, Dmitry. Oh, yeah, we hadn't even talked about that. That... that <laughs> I was cracking up the entire time when he says when he gets there's no point getting hysterical at a time like this. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, he he went and did a silly thing. Well, well, I'll tell you what he did. He just ordered his planes to attack your country. And he says, well, let me finish. He said, well, how do you think I feel? He said, can you imagine how I feel about it, Dimitri? Oh, goodness. Love it after that. He's, like, he's like, why do you think I'm calling you just to say hello? And he's like, well, of course I like to speak to you. I like to say hello. It's so funny. But this is not just any time. I'm calling... hey, the part where he says, it's just a, it's a friendly call. Of course it's a friendly call. Listen, if it wasn't friendly, you probably wouldn't have even got it. <laughs> oh, the, man. The dialogue in this movie is just it's so sharp and witty. Uh, I mean, we could, I could go all night just talking about like specific quotes from this movie. Um, but I'm sure um, if you guys are ready to move on to a different area, I'm sure oh, yeah. Cruz, you have some thoughts about the, the direction and some of the technical aspects of this movie. Oh yeah. I mean, there's always, uh, always stuff to love about, um, Kubrick is a from the technical aspect. This is probably though. This is one of the one of the few movies where he's not um, putting as much em- uh, emphasis on some of the technical aspects. I think just because it's a comedy. I mean, every scene and every shot feels purposeful, but um, I think he definitely puts a lot more into the um, the dialogue on this one. Um, cause that's another thing why this movie is kind of, uh, different because usually like the dialogue in his other films, um, I mean, maybe there'll be some characters who are supposed to have a lot of dialogue, but the dialogue is usually used really sparingly and it's more about how he can convey it visually. And, and this film puts a lot more on the, uh, on the, um, what was I saying? You know what I was saying about the, on the technical oh, aspect. True. Yeah, um, I liked um, I liked the the plane effect. I liked I liked the like the little miniature plane over the green screen. Um, it was it was noticeable, obviously, but it it adds a lot to the charm of that time. Um, the movie looks almost kind of cheap, but I think that's like on purpose. Is I think he does do that on purpose. Like, um, I think he's just trying to really kind of emphasize just how much um, emphasize just how like ridiculous and ludicrous the environment is, and therefore it almost looks kind of like kind of cheap. I was very shocked to find out the bo- the budget for this film was like a million dollars. It was like one point eight million for something that feels so cheap, especially for that time. Cause at that time it was a lot, but it, funny enough, I mean, I loved, I loved the direction. I mean, I thought there was a lot of great, uh, lighting in the film and, and great use of the camera. I like how, um, there was a lot of long takes where it's just them talking. Um, the scene where, um, Mandrake is talking to Ripper and they have a whole conversation and then he's like, but I'm going to need to, you know, uh, I'm going to go tell them, you know, not to go through the plan. And then he goes all the way to the door and the door's locked and he comes all the way back saying, oh, by the way, I need the key and the code. Um, that was all done in one take. And I noticed that till there was finally a cut. Um, so there's a lot of one takes and stuff in here that are 
a lot more subtle. I think there's some, uh, especially with Jack the Ripper, there's a lot of great uh, shots when it's just on his face, like the scene yeah, where the, him the cigar. Yeah, when he's got the cigar and it's kind of under his chin and it's just all dark behind him. You know, it's really well, really good lighting. And and I like also how they filmed his uh spoiler alert, his suicide. How you just kind of you know it's coming and Mandrake doesn't. And the way it's just like this one shot of him just kind of slowly going to the bathroom, getting ready. And like Mandrake doesn't realize it at all. Um, I mean, yeah, this movie is very well made. That's always expected with Kubrick. I think this is probably one of the few films though, where um, there's not as much to talk about from the um, technical aspect, just because um, he put so much into the, into the um, script, but um it's still once again very well made. Some I liked how sometimes it almost became documentarian style. How the camera would just kind of start moving, almost like it was really with some of the people in like the action sequences, like some of the combat scenes. And when he's in the plane, whenever they're in the plane, sometimes it would kind of do these quick zooms and and move around, like it was almost like you know like it was a documentary crew in there. I liked that too. I, I liked everything he did from a directing standpoint in here, but I definitely think it's just kind of much more with the script and the characters in this film. Than yeah, usual. I completely, I completely agree. It's definitely not flashy in any way. Um, and it, it's, it's completely different than his other movies, which I think is in a lot of ways, a good thing. Not, not to like, not criticizing his other movies, but it's a nice change of pace than what uh, he's really known for. Um, it's like Punch Drunk Love, you know. I think Punch Drunk Love is one of Paul Thomas Anderson's best movies, but it's like so different. I think it's like that that kind of shift is kind of a breath of fresh air. It's kind of nice. I, I completely agree, uh, Matthew. Do yeah. you have any thoughts? Well, it, you know, watching it, it it was very jarring to think and remind myself that it was a Kubrick movie because you know it based on my experience, you know, it, it is starkly different, but I definitely think like you guys said, it was done for a desired effect and it was done very well. Um, and I, I think it's part of, you know, part was intentional and part was obviously because the focus here is on the, the subject matter and the dialogue. It's not so much about um, there. There's not really a need to be as ambitious with the camera work and the, the scene and like the, scene structure but you know and and another part is probably just the time i mean like we said this movie came out in 1964 you know the the resources probably weren't as you know fleshed out as they were later into his career so um, i think given the the time you know it's it was a very well shot and well directed movie um and he he went for he was definitely going for something that had a lasting effect from a from a writing standpoint. And I think that he often gets praised for how he, you know, how he guides his lead actors and how he, you know, frames certain scenes and his cinematography in general. But I think having this, this type of movie in his, you know, filmography is definitely something that I did not expect going into this. Um, and yeah, uh, it, it surprised me in, in a really good way. Awesome. Yeah, I really don't have anything else to add. Uh, are you guys ready to go ahead and talk about some of the, maybe the themes of this movie and how it fits historically with the time period? And we can also talk about how it 
kind of fits with what's going on today if you guys feel like getting into that. but um, Oh, for sure. So do you have any thoughts there? Um, I definitely think that just the the main one for me is the most obvious one is how, you know, how how we're kind of, we're kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We're kind of trained to expect that those in authority and those in power um, are of this, you know, kind of higher, higher class of individual or they are always, you know, speaking in, you know, these very elevated platitudes when it comes to, you know, the, the livelihoods of the citizens that they rule over uh, or, you know, help govern for a better term. Uh, and I think this movie really does a good job of showing that those at the top are, you know, they're not, they're not in control as much as they would like to think. And they don't have a grasp on, you know, every factor. And I think it's there to kind of show as a critique of the systems that we adhere to and say that there are very big flaws in this system. And I think that it was Kubrick's way of, you know, just taking an absurdist comedic take on something that is very serious was a really good idea. Um, So yeah, I, I need, I probably should have written all this down because I, I, on the one hand, I think that, I think it's very va- it's very valuable. It's a very valuable insight to have, especially today, because while I don't think that nuclear war is something that's on the forefront uh, as of right now, because how 2020 is going, we probably just need to give it another couple weeks and we'll be there. But um, I, I definitely it's, think it's worth to understand that and have your eyes opened a little bit to the fact that there are things going on outside of your bubble of understanding or awareness that are, you know, worthy to be talked about and worthy to be understood. Um, And it's not just because something seems like it's extremely serious or outside of your realm of comprehension or understanding doesn't mean that it is at all. And these characters in this movie are kind of a case study in that. Um, But I'm rambling a little bit. Uh, Cruz, uh, what are your thoughts? I think the I think the biggest theme of this film, and I think this is a common theme in all of Kubrick's films, is um that humanity is doomed by their by their own kind of just inherent flaws, whether it's just like evolutionary or psychological. Um, I think that's why I've always been. I think that's why I love Kubrick so much, is because I said it earlier with Green Inferno, like. I like really cynical movies that kind of have like this like penchant for like nihilism. And I think what I really like about Kubrick is Kubrick doesn't Kubrick doesn't um give you like the the happy ending to make it okay. I mean I like escapism for sure. I mean I, I like films with escapism. I like sometimes when something really bad happens, but then you know the characters like band together and they, you know, the good or they fought the bad and the good reigns but i like that sometimes i think it's more realistic sometimes to make a movie where hey you know sometimes bad things happen and it doesn't get much better and it kind of you know goes to the sometimes the the cynical conclusion is the realistic one and i really think that that's what this movie is is really about is that people like you said people in charge of us who we kind of put this 
um, almost like uh, like godlike. I guess you could say godlike. But I mean, like we put a lot of trust in these people. When you look at the military and you look at the government, you really look at them as as protectors and the people who are supposed to bring order, justice, you know, fairness, everything into our you know culture and society. And Kubrick gives that reminder of you know, these people are humans too. They're very incompetent and blinded by their own you know, selfishness, whether it be, you know, machismo, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, kind of masculinity plays a big thing in this where certain characters are making irrational decisions based off of this kind of preconceived you know, expectation of masculinity. I mean, Especially with sexual frustration, there's a lot of like sexual allegory in this movie. Um, and Ripper, I mean, the whole reason Ripper sets off the bomb he reveals is because he thinks that he blames the communists for putting fluoridation in the water because of it affected his bodily fluids when he was in the physical <laughs> practice of love or whatever he said. It's just, I mean, this is someone we're supposed to trust to be competent and ready to keep the world in place and because of such a human thing of kind of insecurity through being masculine like this insecure masculinity with his like sexuality and also just um also just like this very angry kind of ready to put the blame and and irrationality to his character brings about much a nuclear holocaust and then you see that in in all these characters we were we were making jokes about how uh buck is just trying to get in and get out of the war room he has no care about the bomb he didn't even want to hear the conversation because he wanted to be in there with his woman like he's more he's more into his um sexual um sexual endeavors more so than than the actual you know fate of the world. I mean, when he gets to the war room, he just gets frustrated and wants to get out of there because he wants to get back to his woman so he can you know release these sexual frustrations. And he's trying to uh, starts even chewing gum and and you see that throughout the throughout the whole film is just there's like people who are supposed to bring order and they're more worried about how they look to other people. They're, they believe these dumb conspiracies because this movie also plays on the ridiculous Red Scare and communist stuff that was going on. And, you know, just just all it just it pretty much is just Kubrick saying humans are flawed and they're going to be the cause of their own demise. And that that's really been a, a big thing in a lot of his movies that we could touch about in all of his movies. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And what really stand, stood out to me uh, this time was, you know, at the end of the movie, uh, that pessimistic view that, you know, after after they fully realized that the Doomsday Machine is going to be activated, the first thing that they start talking about is, you know, Doctor Doctor Strangelove introduces the idea of going down and uh, living in mines for the while the Earth becomes until the Earth becomes livable again, which is like a I think it's going to be a hundred years. And, he goes, oh, just a little bit of a, maybe a little over a hundred years. <laughs> and you know, he's talking about the the ten to one female female to male ratio and how they're going to repopulate the earth. And the first thing that Buck starts talking about is 
the mine shaft gap that what if the the Ruskies, uh, what if they're able to populate more, repopulate more, and they've got the advantage when we come out of this thing? And this that competitive this, masculinity. Yeah, Mr. yeah this, we the whole process is just like. Sorry. No, he he says we must not allow a mineshaft gap. <laughs> also, he's going back to the sexuality too because he gets excited because he's like, "Oh, does this mean we have to stop the monogamy?" Like, yeah. I'm afraid so. It's like, it's just kind of going into how humans are so obsessed with sex and things like that that they don't actually, <laughs> we put a, ourselves in charge and then we, you know, really, it's going to be an issue. And like, we're also, with, they've also just triggered this nuclear holocaust and they're going about immediately starting to do the same things, starting at ground one of creating another arms race. And it's just, it's very, you know, it's, while it's very funny in the movie, I mean, especially uh, George C. Scott yelling about a mineshaft gap, uh, it's it's hilarious, but it's also sad and probably probably pretty accurate. I mean, uh, this is just how humans are, we're, and you know how how we are as a, as a nation that we're always going to be look for that superiority. Um, this. That's one thing that just kind of really stood out to me this time, and I I agree with everything that you guys said. Um, Matthew, did you want to get a little bit into, you know, some of the actual like accuracy of this movie in terms of how the nuclear bomb, how the, I guess how who has the who really had the authority to trigger an event like what happens in the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm just going to be citing, uh, it's an article from the New Yorker, if you guys are interested, um, called Almost Everything in Dr. Strangelove Was True uh, by Eric Schlosser. Um, basically, it just kind of goes into, you know, point by point of the, basically all the premises that were given in the movie about the ability of a, any of any like high-ranking war colonel or general um, being able to initiate a nuclear strike. Um, and while at the time, Jake kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, certain military officials and things like that were very vocal in that this was just not true at all um, and that it was propaganda. But this article kind of details how this actually wasn't the case. Um, in President Eisenhower's time, uh, there was there was a lot of pressure, um, you know, kind of after the fallout of World War II. Um, you know, he he wanted he definitely wanted to retain presidential control of all the nuclear weapons and armaments uh, while defending America. But basically, um, you know, there was all this kind of talk that started sprouting up, like what would happen if the president was you know, incapacitated or what would happen if the president, if Washington DC was attacked and the president wasn't able to, you know, give out the order. So Eisenhower actually did agree to let American officers use nuclear weapons in an emergency. If there was no time or means to contact the president, which it sounds absolutely insane. The fact that it's true. Um, and you know, so that, so that, that point, the whole crux of the movie is, is proved true. And, Really, another part that was interesting to me was the uh, the concept of the doomsday machine. Um, technically, you know, not to the degree that it is described in the movie, um, but there was um, there was sort of a um, 
you know, I, I wouldn't say a comparable device or process uh, created, but um, basically about a decade after the release of Dr. Strangelove, the Soviet Union started working on something called the perimeter system, which is a network, which was supposed to be a network of sensors and computers that would allow uh, junior military officials to launch missiles without um, oversight from the Soviet leadership. Um, and I like this line from this New Yorker article. It says, perhaps nobody at the Kremlin had seen the film, which is very true because uh, apparently it was completed in 1985 and the system was known as the dead hand. And basically the how it would work is once it was activated, um, Perimeter would order the launch of long-range missiles at the United States if it detected nuclear detonations on Soviet soil and Soviet leaders couldn't be reached. So just much like the Doomsday Machine in the movie, uh, perimeter was kept a secret from the United States, and it's that, that is one of the funnier lines in the movie. I'm sorry, right. yeah, that was just about to say that line when he's like, You the yeah. whole point is lost if you keep it a secret, exactly. I mean, it's it, it's scary how I mean, how similarly you know the events of real life uh kind of align with Strange Love, even if it was 20, 20 years after. Um, but um yeah that, that's just you know you could definitely go read that article it's not a very long one uh there's some more details there but those are the main two things i wanted to get into is that the fact that you know high-ranking army generals were did have authority to use nuclear weapons uh without presidential approval albeit you know in extreme situations but that definitely was true and you know russia actually did try to create a doomsday machine of sorts so to make everyone uh, feel better uh our way of handling that has now changed and it is much more yeah. sophisticated. The article does go into that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, I will say not to, you know, keep plugging uh, other things, but uh, John Oliver on last week tonight actually has a piece from a few years ago uh, that talks about nuclear weapons. And it's, it's very, it's, it's not very reassuring. It is better than the situation that we had, uh, that was depicted in Dr. Strangelove, but still not very uh, reassuring, but I definitely would give that a watch too. If you have, uh, if you have some time, but yeah, yeah, very, very interesting historical information to kind of back that up. That, that is really interesting. And it's, you know, the concept of uh, nuclear weapons has always been kind of, kind of fascinating to me that there was such a, such a race to build this nuclear arsenal. And it's kind of, you know, used, it's the way we judge, I guess, really the power of a country is, you know, their nuclear weaponry. And the fact that there's so much emphasis on this, these weapons that, you know, you really, they can't be used. I mean, they're just, this movie talks about being used as a deterrent. And that's true. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's always been really interesting to me that you know we've, we've got these weapons of mass destruction just just it's just crazy that we have them and you can't use them because it's just you know it it signals into the world i mean it's it's a really scary thought but also fascinating to me me too. I, I, one of the thoughts I had during the film was, you know, the fact that as a as a species, you know, we have advanced to a point where we have created, you know, we have created inorganic, you know, 
something inorganic that could could potentially destroy the entire planet. I mean, you could get into you know our effects on the uh, on climate or the atmosphere or things like that. But it's just bizarre to me that we have collectively created devices that could just render all life just you know null and void. And we we did it you know out of our own you know out of our own ambition. Uh, it, it it was something that I definitely thought about during the movie. That's what I think I love so much about the movie. It's like, I, like I said, like the movie's so funny. There is just like this existential dread behind the entire film. Even when you're laughing, the point where it's just like, just think like, oh man, like this is way too timely and relevant. And I mean, like we've already talked about how it was timely back then because it was in during the Cold War, but it was also it was like this movie was also like two years after the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is like the closest humanity has ever come to blowing themselves to smithereens with nukes. Um, but it's just like, there's little moments too, though, in the in the film where they kind of almost address that kind of exit, that kind of dread. It's kind of subtle, but it's so good because one of the one of one of the best scenes to me was when. Uh, they they try to shoot down the plane and it doesn't work. They realize that like um, that they weren't able to shoot it down. They're asking uh, if if he ha- if the plane has a chance at reaching um, the the target in the Russian targets and bombing it. And he's like <laughs> he's like bragging. He's like, do they have a chance of while of course? And then like before he can even finish it, yeah. there's kind of that realization of like, oh wow, we're actually gonna like blow ourselves up. Yeah, that is a great yeah. scene. You know, another thing, and I don't know if it, you know, maybe it's just me thinking about it, but I think another interesting choice, um, and I know we're not meant to kind of they're not really the main emphasis of the movie. Um, but I do think it's an interesting choice that throughout the entire movie, the crew inside the bomber plane, you know, they never once there, there's never any dissension in the plan and there's never any kind of discussion on their They part don't weigh of, the morality of. Right. I, I definitely think that was a, an intentional choice. Um, you know, not having them even for a second, second now they do you know they are wanting to make sure that the code they're given is the right one but at the same time you would think if a movie came out today with this type of subject matter i would think we would get some kind of you know you know moral dilemma plot subplot and i think obviously it doesn't serve the movie here but i do think it was a deliberate choice and i just want to know if you guys had any thoughts on that or what it says about i guess I guess imperialism in general, or maybe just military culture, uh, or you know, just war culture. Uh, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that. Oh yeah, I definitely think that's intentional, just because uh, Kubrick has touched on that before. Um, he's uh, he's made two war. I don't know if people would consider this a war film. I don't. I don't know. Um, but he has made two other war films, and. I have not seen Passive Glory yet, but I do know it's like an anti-war film, and it kind of goes into like the morality of war. But Full Metal Jacket, I mean, like really the whole whole point of Full Metal Jacket is literally how the American military pretty much just demoralizes and dehumanizes uh, 
their soldiers into just like killing machines. That's like what the whole movie's really about. Um, it's like the whole movie is really like the first half is them in boot camp, like being moralized and and then like being sent off to like Vietnam. So I definitely think that's intentional. Kubrick's been very critical of uh, just kind of like lack of like morality and 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 how there's no care of how like kind of just how the military treats its soldiers like a means of of just an extension of weapons and not real people yeah i I definitely agree that it was intentional i don't really have anything else to add i think cruz you pretty you and matthew pretty much nailed that on the head i mean uh, i did i did find that felt that aspect of the film very interesting um, you know, there's a lot of comedy that also goes on during those parts, but there is a, a deeper, a deeper message that I definitely think that y'all hit on there. Yeah, I definitely think the dynamic of just having this, where in any other movie, you know, we're watching this crew kind of like, you know, scrap together and like trying to accomplish their goal. And in any other movie, we would be probably rooting for these people. But in this movie, you know, they're not shown to be evil characters, but, you know, we're kind of actively just sitting there like, you know, they're, they're trying their best and overcoming all this to, you know, drop a bomb that's probably going to lead to the death of millions. And it's just a, it's a very interesting dynamic that forces you to kind of, it, it just forces you to think about the, the deeper tone of the movie. And I think it's, it's one of the, more effective parts of them. Yeah, and I mean, they it, it does say that they, th- I mean, they think that they got this attack plan. They think that, you know, the Russians have already, like, overran Washington. So they're not, I mean, they definitely have, like, I guess you can say they have calls for, like, for That's proceeding true. like they do. Their moral compass is, is intact, I will say that. They, they definitely don't want us to you know, focus on their motivations, I would say, at least their emotional motivations. One other thing. Yeah, but you know, there's there's some, there's some stuff in this movie too that we, we've laughed about, but it is kind of scary because I mean, it probably is true. I mean, like when we were laughing about Buck being like, oh, it's only like 15 million people. It's like, there's probably honestly been situations where people in power have been like, you know, we lose a couple million a greater good, not a big deal. And we have seen, situations like that. Well, I was about to say we we have seen that arguably with Hiroshima. I know that's not necessarily U.S. citizens, but I mean that was definitely kind of the the dilemma. There is we destroy two cities for you know, what's considered a greater good for America. We're seeing on a smaller scale with the coronavirus. Oh yeah, that's true. Coronavirus. Yeah. This movie's even more timely than I realized. Well, um. You know, another part that kind of is in that same vein is when he's speaking to, you know, the Russian, like, leader or whatever, um, Dmitry, and he he's basically, like, he has already made up his mind that, you know, they're going to help them. They want them to destroy the plane and kill their own soldiers for the greater good, which I would argue in that sense, you know, you, there could, you know, you could have more drawn out discussions about it, but in and of itself is probably has to be done morally the right thing to do. However, it is interesting to me that in that moment, it's not even a second thought. And even the Russian, like uh, Dimitri is the one who's had, you can tell, and we don't hear his dialogue, but you know, the president says something to the effect of, 
well, obviously we would help you destroy our plane. Like we would tell you how to destroy our planes or whatever. Um, you know, so you can, it's interesting that they kind of depict Dimitri in that sense as being unsure as to, you know, how to proceed, even though they're U.S. soldiers, but the president is just, you know, forthright and saying, well, obviously we would help you destroy our planes. Like what, what other option is there? Um, yeah. So yeah. Which, but then there's also, the, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean uh, to push. Well, I'll, I was just going to reiterate. Obviously, I think we could agree that it it is technically the morally better thing to do. It's the better option, but it still shouldn't come without, you know, a heavy handed discussion about, you know, the morality of what they're doing. Oh yeah. And, and really what I meant more with Buck is Buck's whole motivation though, is just to, to in a competition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The plane, the plane thing was like, the plane thing was like, Oh yeah. Like we're preventing doomsday. But when Buck's talking about, it, he's like, Hey, we could, we could destroy all these, these, you know, Russians and just lose like, million u.s citizens that was kind of funny though like yeah it is funny but like when you think about it though there's that i mean there's dev there there's that mentality now and we're on u.s people i mean they're not not i won't say like like in government office or anything but i mean like there are people around here who see groups of people in the u.s they don't agree with politically and stuff like that and they'd probably be like kill them in fact i i've seen it I've seen people yeah. just be like, hey, shoot these people, kill them. Um, but also thought it was kind of funny how when they finally realize that there's going to be a doomsday, like all the people of, of in power are just like, oh, well, we'll just go to the mine shafts. We're fine. Yeah. It's like, because you know, <laughs> people, people have brought up, they're like, I mean, this is kind of, not to get too political or anything, but people, you were talking about, you know, the changing of the climate and, of the arguments has been why would you know if, if this is really an issue why would people in power let you know their own world be destroyed and there's the argument well would their world be destroyed since they have the access to you know be fine if it, if it ends up being an issue that's always something to just bring up you know these are just questions but yeah. very interesting very very upsetting too yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely funny in, in a way where you know once once uh you know, Turgeson realizes that they're going to lose a few million people anyways. Like, well, you know, we might as well just turn this into a, turn this into a win here and just, uh, you know, we could take out all the Ruskies uh, at once. Uh, funny and very morbid. Uh, yeah. Like you said, it, it really speaks to like the increasing the like, as technology increases, you know, like the, I guess the weight that it it really takes on a person, like you know, war and all the death. As technology increases, you know that weight doesn't fully weigh on people. I mean, you know, these are it's always been that way. The you know, the leaders of a country or whoever's at war make all the choices, and uh, you know, everybody the soldiers are just pawns. But you know. I think that as technology increases, that definitely continues. It gets worse because now we're able to just drop a bomb on people and kill millions and millions of people. And it's, you know, just really comes down to a click of a button. And, you know, I think we see that today with, you know, it's, it's certainly good. That I think it's a good thing that our technology continues to advance and we can use you know, things like drones and stuff instead of actual soldiers, but 
I just also think that it's kind of, you know, it doesn't really weigh on you when you you're across the world and you're using technology to, to kill someone, even if it is an enemy, you're still taking someone's life. And I don't think that I'm doing a poor job of, you know, trying to say what I'm trying to say, but it just, it doesn't weigh on you. Yeah. You're, I know what you're saying. You're speaking. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, there's a disconnect between you actually take, there's a difference between facing someone and taking their life and being a button and a machine does it for you. It's kind of not as intimate. So you don't have to feel the weight of it. Yeah. And I definitely think, I mean, that's easily one of the central themes is, if for those for for that time period, the movie is said. I mean, that's you know one of the first times in history that they're able to have a blase, you know, laissez-faire attitude about you know catastrophe and and you know genocide or war. Um, you know, whereas otherwise, you know, if they were in trench warfare or you know things like that, it, it would have definitely been a more calculated discussion because they would have been their their own lives would have been at risk as well. It's really crazy, you know, not to really turn this into a, a history podcast, although I would very much enjoy that. Um, but, you know, we kind of, how quickly we achieve the ability to, you know, wipe out uh, life on Earth, pretty much like you were saying, Matthew. If you think about it, from World War One, which really there's a big jump from, you know, World War One to the, the previous war, in technology, but from World War One to World War Two, that what thirty-year span, twenty-year span, whatever it was, um, we uh, we went from fighting in trenches to being able to wipe out each other on a grand scale, mm-hmm. and it, it's really just it's, it's pretty crazy to think about. And we've even continued to advance from that time. Until now, and, and you know, it's really kind of scary to think about where where we might be in the future. But we've already kind of reached the point where we've we've created these ways of wiping each other out. But nobody, hopefully, nobody in their right mind could ever possibly use one. I say hopefully. I mean, it, it would. I guess it would yeah. be shocking. But I mean, the popular the the popular idea now is that we're in the you know the none or all approach. Um, I don't think that's actually the title, but uh, you know, basically the idea that nobody will use them because if some, if one does, then, you know, it's just going to be a kind of a domino effect that will render, you know, the entire planet uninhabitable, essentially. I think I've been playing the fallout video games because now I'm prepared. Yeah. I did want to mention one other uh, funny moment in the film. Right. Right at the end, that you know, while they're arguing about the the mineshaft gap, it turns out that the Russian ambassador was is still taking, trying to take pictures of a, the uh, <laughs> their war plans, stuff like that. It's, even though, even though you know the the whole world is about to basically be destroyed. Also, also want to ask, what did you guys, what did you guys think about um, Doctor Strange Love turning, like, starting to become, like, well, he was a Nazi to begin with, but like, kind of the, what'd y'all take when he's explaining? He starts like, kind of his arms start moving, he starts uh, doing the Hail Hitler without like trying to stop himself, and yeah, that is something I really want to talk about because I don't, I don't really know. 
what to take away from that. So Matthew, I took it as I took it as he was a Nazi scientist, and as they're explaining it, and he's given the plan, it's it's kind of the perfect race idea of like we're gonna pick a certain group of people based off their genetics and their looks and their weight and like psychology, and we're just gonna like only have a certain group of people with a certain group of attributes and they'll slowly like produce like you know like reproduce and and also like it's in the wake of like a nuclear holocaust i thought it was just like the whole like nazi thing coming to full circle that's what i took it as that that does make sense matthew do you have a different take on it uh no that's pretty much you know that's pretty similar to what i was thinking is just that you know this is it's kind of like a kind of like a surprise um antagonist not really a surprise but just someone that represents like the ultimate just i won't say nihilism but just the like represents that nazi-esque you know belief of or just disbelief in the i guess the good of humanity really or just the worth in all of humanity and I didn't have I didn't have too many other thoughts uh, on it, but Cruz put it pretty well. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's probably the intention behind that scene. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's something that uh, I've never I've never fully known what to take away from that scene each time I've watched it. But that that's the best explanation. Or, didn't hit me until he until he said. And, you know, he's like, we can't just let anybody down there. We'll have to decide through their genetics and, like, their how they look and their attributes. And then he started, like, doing the hell thing again. And I was like, oh. Didn't jump out to me till that point when he brought up, like, attributes and stuff. Because I just thought of Hitler in the perfect race. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about, I think we can... We ready to give this a score? Or? Oh yeah, I'm I'm ready. I think uh, I think we're we're at that point. I definitely enjoyed this, and this was a uh, this was really an unexpected um, unexpected gem. Uh, I really did enjoy it, but I'm ready to ready to score it as always. Um, Sweet, I will. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and go first since you know I picked the movie. Um, obviously, I I absolutely love this movie. I I said I think it's one of the top three funniest movies it's probably to me the second second best comedy i think my favorites personally monty python and the holy grail and obviously this movie is completely different than that but uh i I think it's probably second behind that and you know it's a great all-around movie with you know it's definitely got uh it's tethered in real history and we talked about how scary like how accurate it actually is which is you know terrifying for reasons we've already discussed but you know to without rambling any further i i give this a five i mean it's it's probably a top 20 movie for me all time and i just i really love it every time i watch it i still i find something new to laugh about and think about i think this is this is my my favorite movie from Kubrick. Not like I said, I think two thousand one is probably his, uh, probably his greatest movie. But this is my personal favorite. So, 
he gets a five for me. Um, so I'm interested to see what you guys think about it. I'll go ahead and go since Cruz is picking the movie this week. Um, I don't like I said, uh, and like Jake said earlier, uh, this was my first viewing of this film, and I did not know what to expect going in. And I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I really did. I mean, I knew I would appreciate it um, because I do trust Jake's judgment uh, on most things. So I knew that I would enjoy it, and it was it was really great. Um, I think that it was hilarious, um, and just the writing is just extremely good. And it was a very, you know, it's a it's a very realistic movie, for lack of a better word. I mean. Um, and holds true in a lot of ways today uh, that, like we have covered here, you know, are still painfully relevant. Um, I, I will, I will say, we didn't get into, you know, we didn't really complain about this film, and I don't really have any glaring complaints. I will say that as of right now, I will probably give it a four out of five, which is still not a slot in any way. I just think that while I do think it is great, and I laughed a lot during this movie and i think it's very solid i don't know how drawn i am to immediately go rewatch it um and now that that is ultimately just up to like random preferences that i probably can't even quantify as to why but i definitely think four out of five still a very good score um and if i if i happen to watch again or think about it i'm sure i'd probably be considered be swayed into giving it a five but for now i think i'm going to give it a solid four out of five four and a half out of five Uh, yeah, it was cool. Three out of five. No, I'm just joking. Um, I was uh, I was pretty shocked, um, or I was surprised by how much I love this, just because I I saw it when I was a kid, and you know, I, obviously it makes sense that this was probably my least favorite when I was a kid because I was stupid. I mean, I'm still dumb, but much dumber then. So, I I'm with Jake. You know, I was I might say this is my favorite Kubrick. I just need to go back and watch. All of his movies, honestly. I own like almost everything. I need to just go watch every Kubrick movie. I need to rewatch I need to rewatch Clockwork Orange and The Shining again, even though I just recently watched Shining. Cause this movie just might be my favorite. I need to go back and just watch everything because I thought this was great. So I'm I'm I'll give it a five out of five because I laughed. But I also was uh also had a crisis right after, so and, and honestly, if you can make me laugh and have a crisis at the same time, it's five out of five material for me. So, well, definitely yeah. uh, lived up to the hub. I will say, I do need to go. I need to go through and watch all Kubrick's movies. I, I think the only movies I've seen of his are, are really this one, Full Metal Jacket, and Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey. Um, I haven't seen A Clockwork uh, Orange. I've always wanted to read the book first. Um, haven't got around to it, and then you know. watched his. You watched his masterpiece of horror, The Shining, too. Don't forget yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah that doesn't count. Can't leave it out. Can't leave it out. Doesn't even register on my radar. <laughs> too good. It just goes over. I understand. I understand. You <laughs> got explaining further than that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like. Other than that, I think that's all. I've, all I've seen. So I definitely need to get on that. I think I'm in the same boat. I've seen The Shining. I've seen uh, Full Metal Jacket. Um, have not seen 2001, and I have not seen Clockwork Orange. So Clockwork is great. 2001 is definitely like I would say essential viewing. Like I think I think everybody needs to watch that movie once, at least once. Mm-hmm. 
it's uh it's on the ever expanding list. Because it's pretty groundbreaking. I mean, this definitely won't be the last time we do a movie because Kubrick is like the perfect director for stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, so his movies, all of his movies, you can talk. There's so many things you can talk about about in so many different aspects of. So I'm sure this won't be the last time we come. Definitely not. Um, but speaking of movies, we're going to cover uh, Cruz. It is that time of the week. Um, what movie are we going to be watching this next week? I'm very excited to see uh, what you're going to throw at us. Yeah, um, I struggled with this one. I had a, I had like a short list. This was a short list of like twelve movies. I mean, it was tough because I wanted to watch a bunch of different ones, and I also wanted to watch something I haven't seen yet. I wanted to make this an incentive for me to watch a movie I haven't seen yet. And at first. Um, I wasn't going to pick a movie like this because I didn't feel like it should be something brought up into discussion. But then I talked to some friends and my girlfriend and other people. Um, I think with things that are going on right now, um, especially in America, it's really tense right now. There's a lot going on, and I do think there needs to be a conversation brought up more about some stuff that's going on right now. And there's this movie I really wanted to watch that kind of generated a little bit of buzz. It's an indie movie, but generated a lot of buzz a couple years ago because it's it's literally kind of delving into these topics that are starting to be discussed more. And that is Monsters and Men, which is it's on Hulu, 2018 movie. I've not seen it yet, but I I know what it's about, and so I think it's uh. I think it it just with what's going on right now. I think everyone needs to just you know start having a conversation about what's going on in the world. And I think this is a good movie to kind of segue that and still keep it focused on movies. You know, I still wanted to be a movie podcast, but it just felt it felt like the res- it felt kind of almost like a responsible thing. To do. Yeah, cool. I, I haven't seen this movie, so I really don't. I was looking at it now. Yeah, I, I had no idea that John David Washington was in this. So, um, and um, and it's also got um, what's his name? Uh, Kelvin Harris Jr. Harrison Jr. from uh, It Comes at Night and Waves. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm definitely excited. Um, I don't think I had heard of this movie. Um, looking at it though, IMDb, just a quick look. I mean, it definitely looks like something that, um is going to be worth talking about. And like you said, you know, we typically, you know, steer away from political conversation. However, I, I do think you're correct in that, you know, the things that are going on right now, it, I, I don't think that it's controversial to speak about because there are, you know, extremely valid concerns and problems that are going on. And I, I personally think that, you know, like like I said, I, I pretty much said it. I, I don't think it's controversial to you know delve into those topics because you know they need to be they need to be discussed as much as possible, um, and, and that's the only way that you're really gonna you know try and you know affect change in the mindsets of those that are in your immediate circle. Um, so I definitely appreciate this choice, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, really excited to talk about it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And where did you say we can watch this one? Is it? It's on Hulu. It's Hulu. streaming free. 
that was kind of I was kind of picking between this or Blonde Spotting because I haven't seen either of those, but I knew this was streaming, and so I I picked this one so we could all check it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited. I mean, it's relevant to what's going on today, and you know, it's also a movie that none of us have seen, so we'll definitely be able to, you know, it'll be unique, I guess, so far for this podcast. Absolutely. Well, I'm super excited about it, um, and we will get to that uh, next week. But, um, guys, I really enjoyed this one. This was, uh, this was a fun one to get into. Um, but unless you guys have anything else, I think uh, we're good to send the people out. I think that about wraps it up. Well, guys, we appreciate the support as always. If you have listened uh, to the entire uh, endpoint here, we do appreciate you. Um, follow us on Twitter at Shift Talking, like our Facebook page, Shift Talk, the big purple logo. You can't miss it. And yeah, uh, continue to subscribe and uh, tell a friend. Uh, about us uh, we're on podbean and apple podcasts as we've discussed and yeah give us a five-star rating if you're feeling friendly and we will see you next time mm-hmm.